listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. I'm Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom McLean. And I'm Evie. Lang is out on assignment this week, but as always, we have Isaac in our ears, fact-checking and letting us know down to the minute how long it's been since 2020 before asking us if we feel old yet. I already feel old. <laughs> no, you're just tired. You slept poorly. <laughs> that's, it's a, that's part of feeling old, Mitch. <laughs> nobody's like, My, I'm feeling tired today. I just haven't been sleeping well recently when they're nine. Like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> the precocious nine-year-old coming out is like, oh, I slept like shit and just getting like a cup of coffee, standing, <laughs> looking at the back door, just oh, another day, another year two excursion. Here we go. <laughs> that said, there's probably going to be a whole generation of precocious young children tired of the state of the world because yet again Australia's on fire. Oh yeah. It's good that we're returning to the hits for a, a new year. <laughs> that's that's what pulled in our initial listeners. I just want to hear them say that they were on fire. <laughs> hey, he said the line, he's done it. <laughs> <laughs> Every time we do these, I'm just I, I'm reminded of any of those stories back in the bushfires from twelve months ago with like these parents talking about like how do I talk to my kids about this? It's not that they're ignorant, it's that they're scared. I'm like, ah, f- like I've had a good life, but these, these fucking kids, like, yeah, how do you talk to your kid about smoke blanketing a city? <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe yeah. it's a, maybe this is too grim, but maybe it's a thing of like, well, you know, you say whatever you want to calm them down and then it'll happen again next year and they'll be less scared because they'll be like, oh, like last year. And then the year <sighs> after that, because, you know, climate change doesn't improve, uh, you know, it'll be like coming up on Christmas and they're like, oh, it's bushfire season again. Hey. Are we going to get evacuated? Maybe. Cool. Get the rebreather. Yeah. So Perth, um, north of Perth, have had some pretty intense bushfires. At the time of recording, uh, Sunday the 10th, it's been downgraded to watch and act warnings, um, but we've got some heat waves coming up. So uh, who the fuck knows? But we're really mm. hoping that everyone in, up in that area has their you know priorities set, their bug out bags ready, and that they all stay safe. Yeah. Bit of good news up top. Some writers from the Deliveroo app company, they, you know, the whole thing of they're not really employees, they're yeah. contractors or whatever. Um, <laughs> they've kind of unionized. Basically, they've got together and elected a group of health and safety representatives uh, in the, the Sydney group to stand up to the company to hopefully get some better health and safety conditions in their uh, incredibly dangerous job. This is over the course of the sort of Christmas break there were a bunch of deaths of just delivery drivers and that sort of thing and there's really been very little interest from the company to do something about it because they they very enthusiastically wash their hands of any responsibilities that they have towards their employees and so their employees have taken up their responsibility so it's always good to see that yeah it's important to remember that in in the year where everyone relied on food delivery services so many far too many um delivery drivers were either injured or killed um, as a result. Mm. And so it's not just about, you know, delivery drivers unionizing, but also just making sure that their health and safety rights and concerns are all appropriately looked after. And, you know, this is the first step in that. And hopefully we see a lot more action in that regard. Mm. Yeah. In a pandemic space, they're among the top tier essential workers. And yeah. it is really ridiculous how poorly we treat them. In other great unionising news, this is actually from across the pond, but hopefully um, is just one of those things that are, you know, prominent enough that it encourages people to sort of look at their own workplaces. Google's workers have unionised to form the Alphabet Union. 
very exciting. Um, you know, the tech space is sorely in need of unionization and for one of the biggest companies in the world to be doing this is, I hope, a good example. And, of course, um, as this has happened, a lot of the usual suspects are talking about how, oh, well, white-collar workers don't actually need unions, though, because they're paid, like, a lot, and so, therefore, it's fine. So, this one <laughs> venture capitalist dude, um, Mike Salona, he was like, uh, his take bad take about why Google doesn't need unions is pretty funny. He was like, Actually, it's really problematic because you're culturally appropriating the struggle of like coal miners who really needed a coal union. <laughs> Such a bad take. His exact quote was a tiny fraction of Google employees appropriating the language of exploited coal miners while enjoying the most privileged white collar work experience in human history should not be the subject of glowing press. This isn't a union. It's a LARP and it's offensive. Like, the f- <laughs> bro, <laughs> y- you can talk about programmers experiencing the most privileged white collar work. In human history, you work at a VC firm, bro. (laughs) (laughs) And not only that, this same language was used many, many, many years ago to prevent coal miners from unionising themselves. Yeah. They were their their own white collar workers. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah, because it's like, oh, they're not just like grinding away at a factory. You're, you know, you you don't have a manager breathing down your neck because they're up on the surface. (laughs) It's always like deeply frustrating to me, but also very interesting to me when people come out with this sort of anti-unionization language whenever a white collar workplace unionizes. It's always like, oh, you have so much money anyway, you're not actually in any strife, as if money is any sort of replacement for being just treated like absolute garbage. Like you just look at the games industry and the kind of crunch that they have to go through all the time and they earn a high salary, but also it's usually for like, High living costs. Like if you live in San Francisco, if you earn anything less than like, you know, $100,000 if you live centrally, you're poor. It's ridiculous. So, it's all about, it's all relative. And again, like I said, no no dollar amount is replaced, like is any substitute for being treated like shit in the workplace. It's not even about worker treatment with the tech companies. Like, I mean, obviously it is part of worker treatment, but it's like also, you know, if your company has hired almost exclusively white guys- and all of those white guys are treated well, then you don't have a worker treatment problem, but you do have a worker problem in that you've got, you know, no diversity. And the one of the reasons that they've unionized is to try and address the diversity issue. Like that, that's totally, it doesn't matter how well you're being paid. They're like, yeah. no, this, this is a problem. We want to be able to address it because clearly the executive is not interested in addressing that. And then also like ethical things where it's like, you, you guys might have heard about how a lot of big media firms in the planet are, are sort of fucking up the way that all of human <laughs> culture works by creating a monopoly over all of human communication. You heard about this? You seen this? Funneling it through proprietary channels. And they're like, hey, it kind of sucks that basically our choices are to write code for the algorithm that's, you know, tearing apart the fabric of society or quit. And there's not really a thing that we can do to stand together and say, hey, can we like still have jobs but not yeah. sort of conduct our jobs in a way that harms the sort of underpinnings of human civilization. Yeah, and that's a big that, one. Oh, you're appropriating the language of coal miners. <laughs> like coal miners also need to unionize so that they can stop undermining the sort of pillars of human civilization by driving climate change. <laughs> like fucking hell guys. That reminds me of when um IBM workers uh a while back, I it would have been a couple of years ago now, they basically banded together and said uh, in the US, they said, look, we don't want to do 
we want you to cancel your contracts with ICE, um, the Immigration yeah. Enforcement <laughs> Department in the yeah. US. Um, they said, look, we're, this massively unethical. We don't want to be working on the code for it. Um, there's lots of human rights abuses. We don't want to be doing it. And it worked. It's Yeah. Oh, can we stop writing code that helps ICE track down illegal immigrants so that it can put their children in cages? It's like, what are you complaining about? You get paid perfectly well. <laughs> I just said what I'm complaining about. <laughs> it gives the game away when the when the top brass are there, like they're just there for money. And then what they look at unions doing is like, oh, occasionally they go on strike for a bit more pay. And it really is just like, can our pay just keep up to date with the profits that the company is making and help keep our head above water. Most of the time what unions are doing is shit like this. They are standing up for workers' rights. But that's the thing. These arguments come up where you just have to argue against someone who's saying, but money! No! It's not! It's the definition of neoliberalism. The one that's like, well, you know, it's hard to objectively quantify what's good or bad, but it is easy to quantify how much money something's worth, so we're just going to do that blanket instead but then you show them the studies that go hey it does seem like people's like job satisfaction caps out at a wage rate and then it's more to do with the work conditions how good their managers are how non-alienated they are from their work no 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 no. no. i give them an annual raise mitch (laughs) come on it's all you need and i don't think it's got anything to do with the fact that their profits are derived from exploiting the wages of their workers i don't (laughs) think that's why they think about that at all So you might have heard about some pretty big events happening in the United States recently. Um, the, yeah, I just said the Google... Co- no, sorry. <laughs> it, it's, it, we've all seen the footage of Trump supporters storming the Capitol. And every time I see it, I can't help but feel... Like, I'm reminded of all those times where, you know, when Alan Jones led truckies outside of Canberra and, like, Parliament and, like, Angus Taylor talking to farmers that hated wind farms and just picturing them trying the same thing, like, just farmers trudging, like, cow shit through Canberra Parliament. But but America had, I don't know, what are we calling it? A coup? A riot? A, a, a coup light? A... I like calling it a coup attempt. Yeah, I called it a diet coup. Diet coup. I mean, <laughs> we all saw that sort of shit and... So many of the people there were the, like, QAnon conspiracy fans, alt-right people with Facebook brain rot and, like, hyper-partisan Trump supporters. And we're not going to get into the American stuff, but I think something that's been unreported, or not not unreported, underreported. Some people are doing some very good work, which we want to highlight. Yeah. Indeed, that's, that's where we're getting this information from. <laughs> I've been doing it all myself. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't do any reporting here. We're a comedy podcast. Um, Australia has a direct involvement in this American diet coup that took place. You probably have heard of Sky News. It is a terrible TV show that has a monopoly on sports in the country. It's part of the Murdoch empire. They don't pay any taxes. They get tax breaks. They have some of the worst people in Australian journalism as talking heads. Um, Peter Credlin, Alan Jones, those types of people. And they just spout some of the most just properly mental, racist, sexist, misogynist, alt-right, classist rhetoric out there. 
But something that's been noticed more and more and more is how, like, Sky News, Channel 7, Channel 9, they're all sort of in the running for TV ratings still, and and, and Sky News itself is doing okay there. But where Sky is really kicking goals is on YouTube. You've yeah. probably also you've probably heard about how you, the YouTube algorithm leads people down right-wing holes. Well, it turns out... Sky News is one of the main vectors of this right-wing rhetoric on YouTube. They've got 1.1 million subscribers. In 2020 alone, their YouTube views grew by more than 600% year on year. And pretty much every single one of these clips is Australian reporters spouting absolute dog shit nothingness about Trump and Rudy Giuliani and racist shit about like far left Antifa and Muslims and Jewish people taking over America. Yeah. And it's being disseminated out into the world. Like the the, the 1.1 million subscribers Sky News have, that's not just Australians. That's fucking anyone in the world can watch that shit. I should give a shout out to uh, Cameron Wilson, uh, who's 100%. been doing uh, most of the reporting in this regard of drawing attention to the fact that Sky News mm. has figured out that their prime profit factor now is mining the cultural war that's going on in the US and is consequently being imported to Australia. And it's just an, just the snake eating its own tail of shit, of just like our newsreaders feeding this into the universe and the American culture war points coming back to us and then for some reason some dude in Northcote is driving around with like a Trump truck talking about a stolen election. It's like, dude, what do you care? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we get like we we had a QAnon protest in Australia that that had people flying American flags. Like what what country do you think we're in? Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're a different place. Yeah. But the, the way that the news of this sort of stuff gets reported here on like Sky News, so, you know, it scare quotes around news there, but like the, <laughs> it is so American-centric that if you were somebody who's fallen into that sort of brain hole that you're just sort of consuming tons of that stuff, y- you can see how people sort of lose that distinction of what country they're in because they're like, this is the sort of thing that the Sky News heads are constantly talking about. So it's relevant here as well. Like the, you saw in the coronavirus stuff, there were people pointing to the Magna Carta, <laughs> which is uh, yes. not an Australian document. It's a successful um, ability to like convince Australians that certain things that happen in other countries matter way more than they do. One way that we, a fun way that we realized this was that, as you know, Mitch was on the drum oh, yeah. recently. Um, and because we're all exceptional narcissists on this podcast, we wanted to see um, how much of a bump we got in the Australian politics podcast ratings. And it, we went up to like 13, I think it was like, we, yeah. we got into the top 20. Yeah, we went from like 206 to like number 13 <laughs> in like overnight. So, so the, and then back down, and then back down, don't worry. but the, thanks, Thank you, Mitch, for the drum bump. But the worst part of looking at that list was just like, what the fuck are Australians listening to? Yeah. All of it, like yeah. 90% of it was American. Steve Bannon's podcast was way too high up for my liking. Um, and just like the, the only Australian podcasts that were in that – um, top 20, one of them was about America anyway and the other was just like um, just a, a very dry sort of press gallery sort of podcast from the ABC. That's it. The rest of it was all American podcasts. It was like Rachel Maddow, NPR, there was another one too. The, the top politics podcast in Australia, uh, yeah, Pod Save America, NPR Politics, um, Russia If You're Listening, which is Australian made, Bannon's War Room, 538 podcast, like – there's so many that are just 
American. Is there, okay, is <laughs> at the moment in the top 20, is there any Australian podcast that is about Australian politics? Um, looking for anyone in the party room. So the answer is no. The party room is the top Australian politics podcast and it is at number 21 oh at my the moment. God. <laughs> I suppose this week it does make sense that people are listening to more American politics podcasts. Well, but- this. This is the thing, yeah. is that, like, the way, like, at least Western Indeed, culture, fuck, at the moment we're kind of an American politics podcast. We did the Google Union one, we did the... Fuck, sorry, everyone. <laughs> yeah, sorry, we're part of the problem now, fuck. <laughs> this is how our culture works now, is that, like, we are all just so connected on this sort of stuff that, like, yeah, like, our Twitter feeds are all full of, like, stuff from uh, America, and then the American stuff filters back to us, we filter it back to America, because Australian companies can get money from American issues, uh, and and and, and it, like it's 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 direct. Sky News gets money whenever anyone watches any of their videos, and it doesn't matter where those people are. You know, if you know the if you've seen the pictures of the um like Jamiroquai looking guy in, in America <laughs> who is standing like at the dais getting selfies, there's 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 photos of him uh, posting like online posting Sky News like YouTube clips God, talking about like- Trump and uh, Rudy Giuliani and stuff. The Christchurch shooter i mean he was also australian but he was like deeply ingratiated into that sort of stuff but he was talking about american rhetoric and things happening in the uk and this is the issue that we now face is that we are becoming more and more intertwined culturally but only because it's profitable to do so the the, the issue for me is that i think it is natural and fine to an extent to be interested in other countries' politics, like you know, sure. um, I've got family. I've got family in the US. It's it is interesting to me just to make sure that, like you know, that the US is entirely blowing up and my family is going to be all right. Um, I'm also interested only in US politics insofar as how it will influence Australia. So I'm always interested in progressive politicians, of course, like Bernie Sanders. Um, but by and large, uh, American politics and politics wonkishness, I do not care about and largely is uninteresting to me, which is why it's so interesting that it's like become such an important thing to Australians to consume in this way. Well it's like baseball. You can watch you can watch the numbers change. I think it's less that I don't care about American politics and it's not interesting. Like I do care about American politics. It is interesting. Those guys have the nukes. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, they're well, yeah. they're a massive cultural yeah. exporter as well. Like American politics is relevant to Australia, but I don't think it's more relevant to Australia than Australian politics. Yeah. (laughs) But on that, though, American politics, as filtered through the Sky News conspiracy theory mind rot, is starting to affect Australian politics directly. And again, it's because of not just money, but I think cultural capital. Like, if you have just enough cooked units in Australia thinking that, you know, Trump is leading the charge against the deep state, and you're a politician like, say, Liberal MPs George Christensen or Craig Kelly, you can get engagement by posting super cooked stuff from Sky News and, and the Washington Post. So, like, this week, both of those guys, George Christensen and Craig Kelly, posted on their Facebooks about how this um, facial recognition technology uh, has determined that there were far-left Antifa agitators in the crowds in America. And it was pretty instantly debunked. And it was just like, no, like the company said, no, we didn't find that. We actually found some far-right, like white nationalist extremists in the crowd. And what got me 
was two things. At least on George Christensen's page, where I was calling him names, he had like 600 plus shares <laughs> on his shit. Like he had influence in that sort of stuff and it had nothing to do with Australian technology, but he was just doing the, mm, the far left involved again. Interesting, isn't it? And then when the claim was thoroughly debunked, he went on this huge, big fucking like pissed pants tirade about it's the fake news media and they're trying to censor me and this is this is the far left taking control and censoring. And it's like, my dude, like either you are too cooked to be in politics or this is some of the most cynical baiting I've seen of a politician. Minister, after yes. the US election, George Christensen promoted false claims of dodgy extra votes for Joe Biden. Well, I accept you don't want to comment on Trump, but will you condemn conspiracy theories being promoted by members of your own government? You know, Australia's a free country. There's such a thing as freedom of speech in this country, and that will continue. Like, Scott Morrison was also notably the only world leader to come out and not condemn Trump directly as soon as this sort of shit, like, kicked off. But Boris Johnson even came out and was like, ah, oh, Trump had a hand in this. And you, the reason why I want to bring this up, partly, is because I'm not getting ahead of myself. 2021 might still suck. But Anthony Albanese took a position, sort of. Whoa. He took a bit of a position. Anthony Albanese came out and said, quote, no doubt that both the words and actions of Donald Trump have encouraged this activity. So that's, hey, I mean, there's... Yeah, I mean, it sort of falls a little short of saying he's he's culpable or even involved yeah, or yep. warrants blame mm -hmm. or anything, but... Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. It's, not, it's, also, it's also not the most intense position to take. It's not, it's not difficult to take that position, but hey, he took one. He took one. This, this might be the start of a beautiful year. He did kind of fall short of actually taking a position in the official, like <laughs> the, the, the Australian Labor Party <laughs> criticised Scott Morrison in, in, in the sort of the most pointed and direct way that they possibly can, which is like, <laughs> sort of, they posted a tweet that just said, it's the company you keep. And it posted Scott Morrison and Donald Trump standing next to each other, holding their thumbs up. That, that's, as, that's as close to a direct... Like, what is the position of that? We know they're friends, and even if they're not, they're heads of state meeting with... It. Whatever, whatever, Australian media. <laughs> you could find a photo of Trump with any world leader from, the, from Western nations. He's been president of the United States for four years. It's not a thing. And you know what's more... You know what I think is more damning than having the leader of Australia standing, giving the thumbs up with the leader of America is potentially the opposition leader draped in the same football colours as Scott Morrison, standing next to him, not looking super happy that he's been bullied into taking a photo with him. Like, he doesn't even... Albanese has a photo with Scott Morrison where they're supposed to be like, oh, we're putting aside our political differences to, to support our footy team. And he looks so downtrodden. And he seems so upset to be in the photo. And it's like, oh, well, what does this say about you guys, Labour Party? Mm -hmm. oh, pause for a second there, Mitch. Though. Like, be a little fair to Anthony Albanese. He always looks upset and downtrodden <laughs> in any photo. He always looks like he kind of doesn't want to be there. That's his, that's his baseline existence. He's got resting wimp face. You could get a photo of Alba on his wedding day and you'd be like, is he committing to this? Is he... <laughs> Yeah, so they, they posted this photo, though, of, of ScoMo and, and Donald Trump together holding thumbs up, being like, it's the company you keep, which is not 
really any kind of statement. It's just like sort of writing down part of a statement and putting that envelope and then hiding that envelope among the roots of a tree <laughs> in the middle of a forest and being like, oh, see if you can guess our political position. Uh, uh, Joel Fitzgibbon, <laughs> though, obviously got to read into that enough that he wanted to distance himself from that tweet. I'm a proud member of the Labour Party and remain committed to its ideals and objectives, but I do not want to be associated with this tweet, he said. <laughs> We're just like, why? It's nothing. Here's where I draw the line. <laughs> where? Oh, you know. But also, like, just quit, man. You don't like it there. You're not happy. Yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, like, why are you there, buddy? Like, you're not having a good time. Come on, man. Hey, hey, enough's enough. You got you got to find a new job, bro. You, you're coming Hold home on, stressed. Yeah. I remain committed to the ideals and objectives of the Labour Party. What? What ideals? Yeah. <laughs> what objectives? Name one. <laughs> I challenge you. <laughs> Being the Liberal Party, but for other people that don't want to vote for the Liberal Party. Oh, yeah. This is the I remain committed to the ideals and objectives of just directly supporting the Liberal Party in every <laughs> material and conceptual way. And here we've oh, you've put a sort of something that might be construed as an oblique criticism of Scott Morrison. I'm out. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I love the team, but I don't like how it's playing. Mitch. Yes. A couple times. Over the course of this podcast, this recording, you've said Antifa. Are you doing that in a voice or do you think it's pronounced Antifa? That's the voice. Antifa. Yeah. Thank God. I want to make sure that it's known <laughs> to the audience of the podcast. No, cut this. That that's not how you pronounce it. <laughs> it's Antifa. 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 Antifa is what you say when you want to be like, oh, it's this foreign terrorist organization that's just come up with a gibberish word that's like maybe someone's name of like a old communist philosopher or something rather than just a word that's short for anti-fascism. Yeah, no, Antifa is the term that you use when you are explaining the position of someone on the right who like, you know, they don't like, like it's, it's, it's like cultural Marxist Antifa terrorists. That's like yeah. it, it is. It is said like that to to represent that it's someone who doesn't know what they're talking about. They're not talking about Antifa. They're not talking about a, a, like anti-fascist people. It's the movement. It's those dang kids. The leader of Antifa. Has, Antifa. Anti- that's the oh man. I, I I can't even do the voice. The leader of Antifa. No, it's a fucking stupid. I just don't want our listeners to think that we don't know how to say Antifa. Like I know that, and, and everyone knows we're not a podcast that puts a pretty high importance on pronouncing names correctly. But that one, <laughs> I think that if we're only doing it as a joke. We should flag that we're doing it. It's a joke. <laughs> I I could not care less about something. <laughs> that's fine. If you if you if you need if you need if that's how you'll sleep at night, man, then hell yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean it's like I'm, I'm poorly slept today because I knew that you were going to mispronounce it. For everyone listening, I know how to pronounce Antifa. No, you don't, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> Coronavirus news. Uh, Brisbane's got coronavirus. Brisbane's nice. Don't get coronavirus, Brisbane. It's well, come on. Had, so at time of recording, they have had a number of days in a row with no new cases of COVID nineteen, which is great. Um, that is good. That is good. I did. I thought that their number was still non zero. Well, great. I mean, they've, they've, yeah, they've got some, but no new ones, and that's 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 really good. The thing that got me is, so Brisbane went into a three-day lockdown pretty quickly. Um, we'll get into the details of that whole like, clusterfuck in a little bit. But 
One of the things that was weird for me with the reporting on this was that they were specifically talking about how it was the British strain of COVID-19, which, yeah. like, I've not really heard mainstream media talk about the different strains of COVID all that much. No, so they have. have. They, they, they talked yeah, about the, the, the more- The British strain is huge. Yeah, they talked about the British strain, which is basically um, much more infectious, which is why well, Brisbane yeah, went a- into lockdown. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Before this, I haven't heard much of it. There's like before it, because, you know, a lot of us are very online. We were looking at like, you know, six months ago, there's three different strains of COVID and they're getting around the different world and they're in these areas and they might do different things, but that wasn't really reported on so much. But this one used as justification for a very quick three-day lockdown was like, oh, it's this specific strain from Britain and we've got to be careful. It's like, shit, okay. No, Mitch, they yeah. they did actually use the that similar justification for shutting down Adelaide a couple of months ago. They thought, in fact, that was a brand new strain. Specifically because there was a miscommunication about how um, That's right, the, how it was contracted. Yeah, because the guy had to lie and he was like, fuck, yeah. this is so much worse than we thought was yeah, possible. exactly. He gave it to people when he wasn't even working there. Oh, he was working there. It's just plain old boring COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the, the, there's been a few different sort of variants that have come up, but the British variant is like more scary because rather than just being like, oh, it's slightly different, it's like, much, much more contagious. So it's a that that one is a real thing. That one's been around. Yeah, I, I did want to talk just very briefly about how their three day lockdown went because one of the rules on it was you, you've got to wear a mask at all times when you're out of your home, including even when you're alone in your own car. Which is like if you're alone in your own car, who are you giving the virus to? You 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 medically literally don't need to wear a mask at all. And a lot of people were pretty mad about that. I can I can see the justification for it. That's the main thing. It's 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 the same thing as the Melbourne curfew when we had that. It's just not the point to be talking about like under what medical advice could you possibly have to suggest that you should wear a mask when you're alone in car. It's like no no no. This is a political and social issue. It's not medical at this point. People need to take the lockdown as seriously as they think, as the politicians think they need to take it. So let's do something that's both clear and also super intense so everyone knows how intense like it should be. Because my, mm. my position for all of last year was lockdown's either on or off. And Victoria yeah. tried to do soft lockdowns and it just didn't work. And so they had to do a hard lockdown. And whether you agree with what they did or not, the point is to get people to do the medical, the medically advised stuff, you have to do stuff that's also just signaling that it's a very extreme thing. Yeah. And so, you know, mandatory yeah. masks all the time is just much, much easier than saying mask when you're in a building with three people per 10 square metres, but also travelling between cars. No, no, just mask when you're out of your house. Sorry. Meh. And like, yeah, it is extreme and it's, it's, it's full on. Like you, cops should not be pulling people over saying, where is your mask and handing out fines? That seems ridiculous, but I get it. Like it's not, a, it's not a mystery is what I'm saying. I'm kind of torn on it because on one side there is the thing of like, whatever rule that you have according to whatever medical advice you have, if you don't implement that in a way that people follow it, it's useless. It does nothing. Like the rule that actually gets followed is way more valuable than the rule that is exactly like adhering to what makes the most medical sense. But on the same thing, the rule that is obviously stupid is less likely to be followed. Yeah. So it's sort of a weird sort of needle or thread there where you're like, yes, it's important that we send a signal that the lockdown is important and to take it seriously. But if you make a rule that is just sort of like transparently ineffective, then you're kind of undercutting the likelihood. Yeah. People will follow it. This yeah. is sort of one that probably just time will tell and who knows what's right. And I don't think it's a sort of time for just being ideological about it and rather just being like, yeah, nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> 
For me, it's like, um, you know, it's been almost a year now since we have had to deal with this. And it's so obviously like a sociological thing now that I wish people would just be more frank with the fact that, well, we want to everyone to wear your mask at all times purely because we want to get people into the habit of not forgetting it. Like now, in, in, you know, the stage that we're at in Melbourne is like COVID normal. So you wear your mask sometimes and you don't wear your mask sometimes when you're going into like an establishment where like, you know, into like a bar or a pub or something like that. Um, I have my mask on when I go in and then I check in and then I take it off to drink. So it's like, okay, so what am I wearing this here for? There's been quite a few times where I've gone somewhere and I've forgotten that I don't have a mask with me because I just purely am not wearing it as much as I have been in the last, you know, six months. So, you know, it's fine to just be honest about that too, I think. Like, if you just say, look, you you may not actually need it, but we want people to get in the habit of wearing it because we're a bit worried that this is going to take off. So, please just wear it everywhere just to get yourself into that mindset of, I need to remember my mask. Right. But, yeah, our politicians have such cop mindset that they can't just be like, look, we're doing this for just a a reason. Can everybody please just come along with it? They have to be like, we will fine you if you don't follow the rule. We've made the rule. It's it's this sort of self-defeating approach, I think, that that's never going to be particularly successful. Yeah, you've had an entire year to get used to this. Like, you know, at least just be like, okay, everyone hates this, but we just got to do it for now just to get this over and done with. Yeah, Yeah, I guess they're terrified of like, being criticised, you know, our oh, Premier Institute's rule that they even admit they know doesn't work. <laughs> anyway, uh, house out to Brisbane. Hopefully your string of zero cases continues just like ours does in Victoria. Huzzah. Some other unfortunate and, look, I don't want to say it was foreseen consequences, but at the time that this happened, uh, I, I was quite upset about the general tone of public debate about it. So, on New Year's Eve evening, just as people were ready to have parties in Melbourne, um, a hard border lockdown was announced between New South Wales and Victoria, which then resulted in thousands of people just absolutely gunning it for the border to go back home. Now, your instinct in hearing that might be, who are all these fuckwits who want to get over the border? Of course, it's the summer holidays. People are holidaying over over in New South Wales. They've been given inconsistent advice from both the Victorian and the New South Wales government about what places to avoid, what is a green zone, what is a red zone. And some have decided to say, well, the government says I'm, you know, travelling to and from a green zone, so therefore I'm going to be okay. And then come New Year's Eve, everyone's being told, actually, you have six hours to come back across the border. Otherwise, you're going to have to stay in New South Wales and quarantine when you come back and you'll have to pay for all that quarantine yourself. So, of course, thousands of people oh, lined up at the border. for the fucking quarantine themselves. It's stupid. Like, of course, of course, people are trying to get, get around it. <laughs> so, uh, it's so insane to me. And uh, like every single case where they've sort of tried to single out people trying to come back home has been like a really scolding sort of attempt of like, oh, well, you should have known. Well, people have tried. People tried to like get advice for it. There's multiple screen caps all across Twitter. Like even like the government advice on their website was completely inconsistent. And now like, you know, there are still people who are stranded. So one of the – um human interest stories that has come out um, as a result of this is really a very tragic 
circumstances is that um, one woman who was coming back across the border unfortunately had a miscarriage um, on the way back. Uh, this is a very complex set of circumstances as well. Um, she was waved away by Victoria Police at two border crossings uh, despite having a permit that she applied for, but it wasn't accepted in Mildura. So then she was forced to drive a long stretch of unsealed road so bad that the car was damaged and she was in visibly a lot of pain. So at the next border crossing that she came across, she was very visibly distressed. She asked for help. Nobody came to help her. Like she, her husband was asking for people to like call an ambulance, get her some water, asking for like, you know, somewhere that she could go to the bathroom. Um, and eventually they had to call an ambulance um, because she like she was starting to go into a lot of distress. And as she was carried away on an ambulance stress, I'm sorry, this is very distressing to read, um, a female police officer asked her to approach her where she had been in New South Wales. So even as she's carried away, they're interrogating her on the stretcher. Fucking hell. Absolute hell. And <sighs> even after going to the hospital and coming back and she's still going through this horrific event, the police insisted they wouldn't give her a lift back to her car. They were just like, well, you're just – this is the exact quote. They said, well, you're just going to have to rough it. That's just the way it is. Just dog shit. Fucking yeah, dog that's shit. that's really terrible. This was initially reported in the ABC, as usually is the case. The ABC published uh, a link to this story on their Twitter. And all the usual pro-lockdown – water drip Twitter people just went completely insane claiming this was like a political stance to say, oh, well. Oh, like promoting anti-lockdown propaganda. Yeah. It was just horrific. I just remember seeing the tweet and just the replies to it. Um, oh, yeah, God. Yeah. ABC keeps pumping out this anti-border dribble. Like, seriously, what's the agenda here? She most likely would have miscarried no matter where she was or what she was doing at the time. Sorry for a loss, but talk about scraping the bottle of the barrel for the story. That's imagine, terrible. Imagine logging on, seeing a really traumatic story about a woman who is in obvious distress and saying, actually, this is the Murdoch media's fault. Like, what goes through your head? Like, do, do people yeah. even think about, like, what they say when they tweet these sort of things? I mean, it's a tweet, so no, no, <laughs> nobody tweets with full thought going into what they're saying. It's just absolute, yeah. And, and, like, of course, the thing that gets hidden in this story, like, you know, in all this outcry from these awful people is that so much of it is not just the bad advice of the border, like, you know, border officials, but also just the absolute mistreatment from mm. cops who were at the border. Yeah, I don't know what to say about it more than just like, what the hell is wrong with people? Like, it, it, like it, this is the thing. This is why I get really emotional in talking about like shaming individual people for their decisions because 99% of the time you don't know what the full story is about individual people making their way back across the border and suffering as a result. Um, so shout out to Luke Holmes from The Guardian who then spoke to this poor woman, like, you know, to get the full context of the story and talking about, you know, the, the way the cops mistreated her as well. And it just it really I'm so upset that she actually saw the kind of replies that she was getting for that story. Like, hell world. Yeah. I, think I mean, I, I think this is just sort of part of the fact that this is a thing that got talked about a little bit during the whole sort of Victorian lockdown of like, oh, Victorians are, you know, all suffering this collective trauma 
blah, 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 which I, I, I think is true. I mean, I, everyone in the world as part of the pandemic has suffered a collective trauma. But I, I think that I think that the Victorian lockdown really did drive a lot of people crazy. Yeah. Yep. I, I think that's basically it. I think that all of these people who are freaking out over this have been driven crazy in the same way that, like, you know, QAnon has driven people crazy and probably climate change has driven people crazy. I think that there's just we're going to be dealing with more and more people who have been driven crazy in the world. It's a, it's a kind of agoraphobia. <laughs> it's a is a podcast, but it's, a, <laughs> it, it, it's just a it's, factor of society It now. is, yeah. Like, it, it's, it's just like this weird agoraphobia that now the reflexive thing is to blame everyone else for their individual choices. Like, you know, so many of these replies of like, you know, uh, talking about people who are now stuck on the other side of the border uh, are basically the context of, well, they should have known better than to go on holiday. It's summer. They've just been in lockdown for six months. Of course, people want to go on holiday. Like you know, they're gonna do as like they're gonna take as much advice as they possibly can and weigh up the costs. Like I decided not to go to New South Wales to go see my parents over the summer, but I'm miserable. I want to see my mum. Yeah, I think it's a lot of people that are sort of like uh, like conflating like their own personal moral stance with their politics. Yes, that's like, exactly yeah. it. So it's like if like my moral stance lines up totally with Dan Andrews. And it's just like, so if I feel like I should both follow the advice, but also should be more careful and not go on holidays, and what were you thinking? Like those things, those are separate thought processes. Other people can want to go on holidays from following advice. Other people can want to stay in, but it doesn't line up with then going like, oh, well, you know, you should be following the advice. What were you doing? Or you have a sort of problem, blah, blah, blah. And these, these brokens have now sort of gone, well, there is something bad about the people that have done something different to me, essentially. I mean, yeah, I was just going to mention the fact that, like, on evidence, every time we've also had people, like, come out and give their story, we also find out that they did try to do the right thing. Is that Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, that happens every time. Like, like we keep on saying, every time you see an individual story about why someone chose to subvert, like, a lockdown or any sort of, you know, quarantine measure, I would always, like, hesitate to immediately come down on that person because there's always broader context. Like... A great example is the two German tourists who um, subverted quarantine in New South Wales and were able to fly to Victoria. This happened just around Christmas time. Um, that just constant, like, you know, roundly slammed in the press as like, you know, oh, they were trying to sneak out of the airport. And, you know, I heard a friend say that a friend was at the airport and heard them say, oh, yeah, we're going to sneak across. None of that was true. They specifically went to officials and said, how do we get across to Victoria? Do we have to quarantine? What lines do we need to join? And unfortunately, they were in a position where, like, you know, they were German and they were not understood well by officials and they were waved through and they were able to get a flight to Victoria and then they were stopped in Victoria. Again, like, you know, individual circumstances. New South Wales police let them through. I can't believe that it's been nearly a year where this keeps happening and every time everyone is just so amped up to crucify another person people just keep releasing apologies too like there was the older woman that did like a cannonball run across the border she's spoken out about how she thought she was just she tried to get advice she thought she thought she was following the advice yeah, i thought that was okay to go through um the person who uh recently like 
took coronavirus to Queensland, was tested and released and tested and then sent forward and she was following everything that was fine and then had to, you know, go like, oh, I was just following the right thing. Um, it's either that or we have we hear from people that are just like, yeah, I kind of did sort of have to lie because I had literally no support otherwise and I was terrified. But there are some instances of, you know, like some rich people who just choose not to quarantine and they're fucking assholes. And, you know, there's probably, uh, there are some people that should be, you know, scorned, but it's just mm. that thing that, it, that, that knee jerk reaction to go, fuck these people. It's like, have that reaction. Don't post it. Just sit on it for a while and wait for something to happen. Because a lot of the time we're hearing that these people are fucking trying their best as well. Yeah, when you're laying down sort of a rule that needs to cover a whole society of, like, you know, millions, tens of millions of people, that math needs to account for the fact that even if, you know, you you have, you know, like, oh, 0.0001% of the population would possibly, you know, misconstrue this or have a good enough reason to get around it, like... At a tens of millions of people scale, that's still hundreds or thousands of people that are going to fall through that crack. And so your rule either needs to, uh, you know, have enough flexibility to allow for that to happen in a way that is safe or, you know, explicitly, you know, have uh, structures that prevent those exceptions as well. And if you do have people falling through those cracks, you can't be like, oh, they shouldn't have done it. It's like you're running a society here. You're not, you know... taking a couple of people out to dinner, you're trying to organize tens of millions of people. And the the sort of the logic around, you know, oh, who's at fault simply doesn't work the same. You can't just scale that stuff up and down. It's different. Yeah. People really want a patient zero. And yeah, <laughs> they want that one person to point to and say, this person did it. It's just not real. So in totally foreseeable and unfortunately horrible news, the cashless welfare card has entirely fucked over people already disenfranchised. It's come out that in between Christmas and New Year's, people that were on the cashless welfare card in the Northern Territory, had the system had an outage and they couldn't access 80% of their welfare payments. Just as a, as a quick refresher, parts of the country have a cashless welfare card that's been rolled out into the area. And if you collect Centrelink... 80% of that money is locked onto the cashless welfare card and you can only use it at certain places to buy like you know food and groceries and and, and like essentials. The government is choosing where you can spend your money and on what. Yeah, and this is in the Northern Territory. So the the single place that accepts your cashless welfare card might be hours and hours drive from where you live. Totally fucked. And the yeah, the system had a fucking outage. People couldn't access 80, up to 80% of their fucking welfare while this card was down. And it was between Christmas and New Year's for fuck's sake. Yeah, like, far out. Like, yeah, uh, it was the Monday after Christmas. Absolutely so the, the, insane. The, 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 the 28th. They just It's just like, oh, hey, I've shown up. I'm at the groceries. I'm doing my groceries. Sorry. Your card doesn't work because Services Australia has fucked it. Uh, no, we, we don't know if it's going to... Come back on. You can just sort of, I guess, hang out in the car park until it comes back on, ETA question mark, just, or go home without any fucking groceries. This is like such a classic mark of like Australian uh, Australians' companies' desire to like have a proprietary system rather than using something that already works and is already in place. Like we love 
in corporate Australia, we love to like develop things that don't work immediately as intended and just invent them on our own here. Like this always happens across like all government services. And now we literally have like a visa card that doesn't work as it's intended and just goes out because too many people are using it. Like, come on. Well, I mean, does, did it even go out because too many people were using it? They, Services Australia hasn't responded saying why it happened, has it? Well, it like that's I guess that's a supposition on my part, but this has happened in a lot of peak periods. So this has actually happened um, in 2019 as well. And it happened, I think it was either in the new year or just around Christmas time as well. Stuart Robert comes out and says, oh, it was another hacker attempt. They bloody, they bloody got it again. <laughs> Damn it. No, so oh, this is God. this is the thing that like this is what gets me is that like if you have a cashless welfare card, it's already clearly just targeting the disenfranchised. It's only targeting people that collect welfare. Like they yeah. and so and by definition in this country, they they were already below the poverty line and you know, because of COVID, they're just barely above it at the moment. So this is only affecting people in poverty. And I saw a little bit of talk about how like, oh, you know, it's bad, but services sort of go down all the time. Like, you know, if Westpac goes down, I can't bloody get a hold of my bank account. And the thing is, like th- there's a high level and then there's a particular part of this, which is a, which is a fucking problem, is that when this service goes down, again, it only affects the disenfranchised already. If the cashless welfare card goes down, it's not like Woolies has to stop serving people. It still operates. It's still fucking fine. It's, again, just the people on welfare get affected by it. But it's so much more pernicious than that. It's so fucking targeted and evil. And it's just putting the fucking knife in. Because these are, like, if you have cash on you, you have your own sort of bank account, you could potentially get around this. Yeah, Westpac's gone down. Oh, I'll use my card from a different bank account. Right? So, yeah, if you have a cashless welfare card... Here's what you can't do with it. You can't transfer money off of that card to another bank account. You can't have someone put money on your in-due card. This is what it's called. You can't have someone transfer money onto that so you can get your fucking groceries. You also can't transfer money off of the cashless welfare card to pay them back at a later date. I I looked it up this morning to see what's actually possible with that. And apparently from the website, um, you can also transfer up to $200 per 28 days to your unrestricted bank account. If additional cash is still required, you can contact cashless debit card hotline on blah, blah, blah for further assistance. However, evidence of the need for additional cash will be required. Fuck off. I want to buy anything. I should be fucking allowed to. It is just disgusting. Disgusting! How like how targeted this evil is. It's just it's absolutely fucking disgusting. Hmm. I mean, this is this is this is a news item. Um, a couple of weeks ago, was Parliament waved through an extension and expansion of the Indie program, despite the fact that the studies have shown that it doesn't even fucking work. That's the other. It's thing. not a useful program. It's not doing the things that it is sort of ostensibly trying to do. Yeah. The only thing is doing is keeping people who are already in poverty in a shit situation and sort of exerting some measure of control over it. And not to mention, you know, making money for Twiggy Forest. So this is the thing is that Twiggy Forest, um, fucking mining magnate, rich guy, whatever, fuck him. Um, this has been his hobby horse for the better part of a decade. He's been writing proposals to the Australian government for so long trying to get some sort of cashless welfare card. And 
I can. It just. It just strikes me as the same mentality as the the the, the toffs from the eighteen hundreds with the workhouses that where they would put the the poor people where you know people would just eat gruel and they'd have to do menial labor for twelve hours a day if they didn't have a job and it was shit conditions but they did it because it was supposed to be so bad that it would encourage them to get a job but it would also it would also like work the laziness out of them it would it would crush the immorality out of these people and it's just i i see no evidence to suggest that it's not the same mentality driving twiggy forest to just go these poor people are lazy they're indignant and they deserve to be controlled because they can't not just that they can't be trusted but that they don't deserve to have the same access to goods and services. And this is this is the other thing as well, and this might be more of a longer bow to draw, but in my <laughs> mind, bench, let's go. this isn't just about controlling um, people's access to money. If you are a neolib like these guys are, I think it's about controlling their access to the market. These guys love the market. They love the idea that freedom is found through the market. And they are deliberately keeping people from engaging in the market properly. And I think that's a moral thing on them. I think their calculation is these lazy, horrible dullards do not deserve access to the pristine, beautiful freedom market. They should be serfs until they are better people. I don't I don't really know about that. I think that is a long bow. I know I told you to draw it, but... Like, I don't think that they're worried that, you know, the that if they let the people on welfare just have the money, that suddenly they'd be, you know, investing in the stock market and, you know, starting up businesses and stuff. I uh, My stance is I, I think Twiggy Forest just is like, yo, I reckon I, I have a cool business idea. Uh, what I'll do is I'll get the government to pay me money to operate the cashless welfare card. I will keep the profit of that. And, you know, I get the money. And it's like you realize that thousands and thousands of, of really poor people will get really fucked over by that, right? And he's like, who? I, I don't care. You know, it's a business idea. Nah, see, see, in my... Because the only, the only place I disagree, though, is that he already has money from other ventures that he knows will work. I'm also not saying that he's worried that they will engage in the market in a, in a good way. I'm saying he thinks that they don't deserve that type of access, yeah. that they are bad people and should be controlled. And again, I've seen no evidence to suggest that he doesn't have the same mentality as the people writing in the 1800s about workhouses. Well, about like, jo- like John no, Howard I, back I, in the I... 90s talking about how like people are like people are bad and lazy if they're on welfare. So like it's, it's it's that mentality. Uh, I reckon Twiggy Forrest just sees poor people in the same way that he sees a like a, a vein of coal. In I a, actually think a resource to exploit. Just like it's a resource. To see, start. I think that Twiggy Forrest sees um, poor people and uh, Aboriginal people as well in the same really old-fashioned patronising way. Of like of like yeah. colonizers in Australia of like oh they really need a help and a handout from us but only in the ways that I see fit to give it to them so he has the Mindaroo Foundation which is supposed to, like you know it, it gives a lot of um, charitable donations to <laughs> Aboriginal health com- and um, education initiatives and again it's all pennies on the dollar compared to how much he actually owns but he he can control the flow of money. I think that would be more plausible if there was anything showing that the Indu card worked. Like, it it, yeah. it doesn't work. It doesn't work. He want he just wants to control poor people. The only thing that it works to do is provide Twiggy Forest with money, and the you know the purpose of a system is what it does. the the the, the Indu card exists to funnel money from poor people 
to Twiggy Forest and it serves no other purpose. And so I think that, like, he's aware of that. So yeah. that's what he's doing. I, I don't actually think it. I don't think it matters to him, or like for the, the actual outcome that doesn't work. Because I would, I would hazard a guess that a lot of his initiatives don't really have any sort of real value in the end. But for him, <laughs> for him, hot take. Uh, but for him, it matters that he's seen to be doing this like car because for him, um, to all his other business peers, it's like here's me putting these initiatives out into you know to reform the community. But they all know that it doesn't work as well. Like the fact that it doesn't work is public knowledge. Yeah, but like uh, that's what I mean, though. Like the uh, the fact that it actually doesn't work is almost immaterial to the fact that he's actually doing it because you know uh, his entire sort of um, system is just to be seen to be doing things, but whether they have any actual sort of benefit to the community is not necessary. I'm going to say that the government and the supporters of the government that also had the line that you will not be resettled here and that offshore detention is to be as painful as possible to deter other people from coming here will 100% have a welfare system set up where the pain is the point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's Pauline Hansen's line on it as well. You know, you've lost your rights once you're on the card. Exactly. Yeah, she's the only one who just said it out loud. Yeah, she, everyone's just like doing the like the the cut across the neck. Like, Shut up! Shut up, <laughs> Hanson! <laughs> Actions this week: Give your money to the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. Just quickly on the Arkashas Welfare Card, the AUWU have been instrumental in pressuring politicians to vote against it and try to get it uh, repealed. We obviously didn't see it roll out nationally, but it was voted to be, like McLean said, uh, kept and expanded in a sort of trial capacity. Um, And at this point, also like McLean said, the evidence is in. The card doesn't fucking work. So it's no longer about making evidence-based arguments to these politicians. It's all about the human angle now. And the AUWU are really, really good at advocating for people on welfare because they are also people on welfare. Um, They're fighting the good fight. If you can chuck in um, any sort of money for them, it'd be great. If you can set up a monthly recurring donation, become a member, fucking fantastic. Please do it. Yeah. Another shout out is the 7am podcast, a podcast we've shouted out before because they're real good, have a series that they're rolling out at the moment called Climate Change Will Kill You. Um, We are a no doomerism podcast, but we can definitely promote ones (laughs) that really dig into it. Um, But their, their first episode was called Heat. And it was about how doctors are now starting to put down environmental causes for death more and more and more. And how doctors are saying, yeah, Climate change has killed people, um, which is fucking terrifying, but they do such good work over at 7am that um, you should really listen to it. It's full of interesting and pertinent facts and also, um, you know, ways forward and through it, I guess. So definitely worth a listen. Thanks for listening to another episode of Not Good Enough. You can get in touch with us at Not Good Pod on all the socials or hit us up on email at notgoodpod at protonmail.com. Get us back to number 13 on the political charts. <laughs> yeah, get us back to number 13 by emailing us. No. Uh, <laughs> I don't. If we knew how to do it ourselves. Put Mitch back on the drum. Yeah. Open up 20 uh, Apple accounts and just play the podcast on all of them. <laughs> Commit fraud. <laughs> Not Good Enough was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. 
We pay our respect to the elders, past and present, and sovereignty was never ceded.